0: to bourbon barrel talk i'm your host scott and we got my co-host over here toby how you doing today buddy i'm doing well good 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 hey uh bourbon barrel talk what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on bourbon what makes it bourbon um kind of uh the market for bourbon um where's a good place to enjoy a beverage and all kinds of things that kind of correspond with the bourbon industry today um, it's become uh, the number one seller in the U.S. I think. Uh, I heard recently that it's the highest spirit sold in the U.S. now, and and it's starting to take over in Japan and even above Fireball. So bourbon. When we talk about bourbon, one of the things we like to talk about is what is bourbon, right? You know, um, you know, all all bourbons are whiskey, but not all whiskeys are bourbon. So. When you look at bourbon and you look at the purity laws, and, and there are actually are laws that are involved with this, um, some of the things you need to learn about um, if and you're you trying follow, to find you, out. you better follow that law. That's right. You better follow the law if you want it to be bourbon. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Um, it has to be at least 51% corn. Um, it must be distilled at no more than 160 proof, which is 80% alcohol by volume. Bourbon must be aged in new charred oak barrels. Bourbon may not be introduced to a barrel higher than 125 proof, which is 62.5% alcohol by volume, if you're, if you're keeping track of both there. <laughs> bourbon, which meets the above requirements in that situation, and are aged in a barrel for a minimum of two years, can be considered bourbon. Bourbon aired, aged for at least four years can be considered aged bourbon, or matured. So that kind of gives you the idea of what bourbon is, where it came from, and how it started. Um, if you've ever been to a tour of any of the local facilities, they'll kind of go over that with you, and it, it makes it a really nice opportunity for people to see, you know, what bourbon is all about, how it was made, and how it came came forward. Um, kind of speaking of that, I know you've been on a few tours, Toby. Which one's your favorite?
1: Um, the Old Forester Downtown Louisville uh, was a very good... Um, overall tour but from start to finish if i had to do it over again especially all the ones that i've been to i I actually like angels envy downtown louisville uh they have a great tour they have they go into a lot of the history and you get to see everything from start to finish now you can go to ones like peerless and, and they have really good tours there but the one at angels envy i think is the is the top notch um at least the local tours that i've been to now um there's nothing like going to uh, Buffalo Trace, or or Jim Beam, or something like that, where you get to go to those tours and you can see the history and the buildings, and everything like that. But a lot of those you don't really get to see as much. You don't get to see the the uh, the mash bubbling uh, in the in the big colanders uh, like you do at Peerless or or Angels Envy. You you only get to see. Um, kind of the the beginning and end process where you get to test it and drink it and stuff like that. So if I if I was going to promote one and say that if you if you're downtown Louisville and it's a must see, it'd probably be Angels Envy.
0: Okay, I I don't disagree. I, I like the Angel Angels Envy one a lot, um, but my personal favorite for downtown Louisville especially is, has been the Old Forester one. I actually we just went a couple of weeks ago for the second or th- I think it was the third time and uh we actually got to see the mash at the top you know they take you into the floor and then you kind of work your way mm-hmm. through um it's a little bit more sterile than the old school ones when you get out at buffalo Trace sure. and, and and those um because y- y- there's just something the mystique about the rick houses you go out there you walk through those buildings they've been sitting there for 80 to 100 years or even longer and they're hot as hades in the summer and cold as mm-hmm. all get out in the winter. So there, there's just something about that experience, but Buffalo, I, but uh, the the old Forester downtown to me, I, I just I really I guess I have a connection to it. Oh, for one, Old Forrester, um, the Birthday Bourbon is one of my absolute favorites. Um, but also too, I, I like the just the way they've got it all laid out, and they talk about the history of how he kind of set the groundwork and, of the purity laws that 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 now constitute as far as bourbon goes. Yeah, and even though that they have the. Uh, all the
1: laws around what is bourbon um if you if you've uh, been around anybody who knows anything about bourbon uh they're going to tell you that to to get something that's aged for longer than four years or or if uh even though some of the like the newer ones like new riff and the new peerless um are right at four years old but uh people are really liking but for the most part, people want that aged bourbon. They want at least 10, 12 years to, yeah. to really—they uh, they call it bourbon then.
0: Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with you. You know, some of my favorite drinkers are that, you know, that aged uh, bourbon, um, you know. Uh, but you did you did mention New Riff, and New Riff is really—it's it, at the market, like, hot. I mean, like, every time I turn around, they're coming out with something kind of new. And, the, and then my and favorite creative. thing is— yeah, absolutely, and that's one of my favorite things. Is So, like, if you go do a barrel pick with a group of guys or um, sponsored by a liquor store or something like that, I mean, I've seen stuff from uh, New Riffy, and it had Ken Griffey Jr. on the uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> his upper deck card on the front of it. That was pretty cool. Um, they had the Riff Killer, you yeah, know, had some I've different stuff. That. And my favorite one that just came out recently was Riff and It had a big, like, Andy Warhol painting of Rick Flair on that son of a gun. I was like, dang, now that is legit. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was just straight up just got excited and ripped up on that one, man. But uh, you, you got to appreciate the old uh, Riff flair from, from New Riff. Have you been to New Riff? I've actually not been there yet. So that's one that I, that I I it's on my bucket list as far as things to get in the next year or so. Me and uh,
1: my dad went up there maybe, I think it was the, the first weekend that they were open. I think they opened on a Thursday and we went up there on a Saturday and went through a tour there. Uh, pretty neat facility overall. Uh, what's unique about it, it, it it's kind of crazy, is it's in a parking lot of a, of a big liquor store. I can't remember the liquor store's name, but it would be like if you're here in Louisville and you go over to um, the the Summit and you go into Total Wine, and right next to it is a giant distillery. It was, it, But in this parking lot, it's just a big liquor store, big uh, like a superstore liquor store, and then the distillery is right next to it. Um, but they tell you during the tour that the, uh, the owners were part owner of the other liquor store and they ended up becoming, uh, the creators of the new riff. And that's how they came up with their location and everything else, because that's what they already own. It, it's pretty, it's a pretty neat story.
0: Yeah, that, that, that that's pretty cool. I, I didn't know that. Like I said, I, that's one of the places I need to go to. Another one that I've been really looking forward to going to, and I think we're going to go out there in the next few weeks is, uh, Boone County. Yeah. um the Boone County's coming out with some really 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 good bourbons um you know they've been there for a while uh they got a 10 and a 12 year um and I've I've had some picks from uh, a couple of different bourbon clubs that I've I've been able to have the pleasure of trying and and they've got a really really solid product over there for people that you know haven't done it and it being just south of Cincinnati it's got a great market that it can get out and kind of uh show that show that section of uh Kentucky off in northern Kentucky and give people the opportunity to, that, that are coming south to, to not get quite as far as, you know, Bardstown or Claremont or Louisville or any of those places to to really, really in, take in the bourbon experience. It just seems to be a, a really cool place as far as that goes, um, and they're making some great bourbon down there.
1: Have you ever been to Jephthah Creed?
0: Uh, I've not been to Jephthah yet. Uh,
1: what's crazy <clears> is every time you go to Buffalo <clears throat> Trace or anybody anywhere out there in Frankfurt, you pass up Jephthah Creed. And I'm like, I, I need to stop in there. I, I need to see what this is all about. And I know they just released some bourbon uh, within the last year or so. Um, before that, they just had their vodkas and, and things like that. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying
0: and, and going out there and, and seeing more about the depth of greed. Okay. Speaking of vodka and things like that, you know, you get into those still products, you know, and what makes bourbon unique is, you know, like I said, the 51% corn and, you know, there's there's three or four steady grains that kind of go on the backside of that that make, you know, either four grain or three grain or whatever that is. And one of those is wheat, one's barley, and the other's rye, you know, to kind of make up those four grains that would typically be described in, in most bourbons or at least an opportunity, um, you know now bourbon is getting distinctive as, as being, you know, is it a weeder or is it a rye or what is it? So, uh, what's your favorite one to, to partake in if you had to choose?
1: Um, I, I don't, I guess the weeded bourbons are probably something that I enjoy more so than anything else. I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the Wellers, just a special reserve is, is, is is just a solid drinker, but if that if that was going to pick one specific, I think the weeded bourbons are what I would like the most.
0: See, I, I'm like you. I'm a big fan of the weeders, you know, whether it be Blanton's or Weller, um, you know, uh, right? heck, we're having some Buffalo Trace tonight, you know, while we're sitting here talking, you know, all <laughs> those are good, solid weeded bourbons, and, and there's tons more out there. Um, you know, one of the things that gets me really excited, though, is, you know, a lot of people think that bourbon has to be made in the state of Kentucky, and you know, I, I kind of somewhat agree, to them to agree with them to a certain extent, but, man, I tell you, there's some companies out there right now that are making fantastic bourbons that are outside of the area. Um, Blom Brothers, they're up there in uh, Illinois. They're mm-hmm. making some phenomenal stuff. Um, and then you've got, you know, a lot of other ones that are out there, you know, just making really, really good solid bourbon um, outside of the state of Kentucky, which gives you those opportunities to go out and try things and, and travel the U.S. And, and get into some of these distilleries.
1: Yeah, even though I know there's a lot of folks that, that like you mentioned, if it's not made in the state of Kentucky, they don't feel like it's bourbon. It, it has to be made um, with this water filtered by this limestone, uh, aged in uh, barrels that were um, created with wood from the state of Kentucky, um, and that's what they feel is what is more distinctive about bourbon than anything else. So it's it's not just um the mash bill, but they, they feel like the water here is something that that distinctly uh, makes bourbon special.
0: Yeah. Uh, Old Forester, that was one of the neat things whenever I went on the tour the last time. They really talked about the fact that uh, they sourced almost all of their wood for all the white oak that they, they sourced is um, kind of Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, and North Carolina kind of to give you a rough estimate and Tennessee obviously. Mm-hmm. To collect those the, the the white oak to to get those bourbon and and I tell you what they they take it to the tenth degree as far as like they literally make their own barrels like they they bring in the stay the wood they cut it cut the staves put it together char it you know the whole nine yards you know um so that that to me just gives you just an awesome you know opportunity to go in and kind of see those type of things and then. And see that, but uh, I do love how it's all kind of sourced right here in this, you know, I guess Midwest slash South part of the country here. I
1: was uh, I was doing a tour at Buffalo Trace, and I don't know if you know this or not. It it's um, they were making essentially moonshine, and they were trying to figure out how to store it. They didn't know how to store it, and they were like, well, "How are we going to store?" It? So they they would create a barrel. And the reason they used the white oak barrels is because they didn't leak. And and that was essentially the reason they created those barrels in white oak and new white oak barrels. Wasn't because new is special or the char is special or anything like that. It was because the, the new white oak barrels didn't leak. They didn't want to lose their product. And then after after it's sitting in the barrel for a while, they realized it was changing colors and changing flavors. And that's when they got into the process of actually charring the barrel and, and, and figuring out that dumping this corn water into a barrel and letting it sit, um, would dramatically change the taste. So I think that's really unique in the sense that barrel was, I mean, bourbon was actually created on accident, um, because they were just trying to make a lot of it because they liked the drinking it but they didn't know how to store it there there wasn't those big uh plastic jugs like there are today they had to figure out ways to to store it and and the white oak barrels didn't leak and that's what gave them the flavor and and i think that's a, a unique story around bourbon in general um because it's special it's 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 not something that that people went out and said Here's what I'm creating today. It was like, oh my gosh, look at what we, what we look, look at
0: the byproduct. of yeah, look, us trying to figure out what was going to be the best way to keep it. And, and this is, and it ends up turning into gold. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the white liquid. You know, um, ha- have you ever partake or uh, drank any of the white dog that they serve up there? The, the, the clear liquor before it's been stuck in the barrel oh yeah it's harsh it's it's <laughs> it's tough but
1: you, you can still taste some of the flavor you taste a lot of the 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 wheat and the corn um but it's just so harsh i mean it's it's like trying to it's like drinking moonshine it, right. it's, it's 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 the same makeup as moonshine
0: They're very similar very similar for sure um you know when i was at when i was actually at old forester this last time they had the like i said the mash tune running down there and they had the corn in there and everything else and and uh, they, could, they were like, "Yeah, you know." and so I stuck my hand down in there and you know, kind of st- st- stuck a little finger in there and touched it and tasted it. Man, it, it was dead up like sweet corn, like it was the craziest mm-hmm. thing, so:
1: When I work downtown, um, we can you, if you walk past or behind the Evan Williams uh, there on um, Main Street, um, you go around the back side, there's a pipe that's kicking out smoke and you walk past it and you can smell that mash and it, to me it smells like sourdough bread and every day when you're walking by that you can get that sourdough bread knowing that they're making that bourbon up in there and they're they're, they're distilling it and everything so it's it's really uh kind of a neat neat thing to do when i pretty much every single day that i'm walking past that i, I smell that sourdough
0: mash yeah no it, it it's absolutely really really a great smell you know it's a it's a neat experience and plus the fact that it's you know, when they start that process, it basically comes out as like really, really strong beer. I mean, the the, the original product is what, like 11 or 12 or 14 percent alcohol by volume. And then when they start to distill it, it's when they really, really get that, that the alcohol gets brought out in it. You know, it gives it that opportunity. They call it beer. I know. They did actually call it beer. I forgot that they actually did call it beer. No, I don't, I don't think I'd want to drink it. I like I, drink I, I would. <laughs> but you know me, I love beer, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, one of the other things that uh, I always think that makes bourbon so unique is uh, the charring of the barrels. You know, you talked about how it gives it that golden color and helps seal the bur- the, the barrels up and all that type of stuff. But one thing that I feel like is unique um, is that uh, Mictors has been coming out with these toasted barrels. You know, they're they're charred, but they're not charred as heavily as like a heavy char would be mm-hmm. or things like that. And I feel like they've just made some fantastic products off of those toasted barrels, whether it be the Michter's Toasted Bourbon or the most uh, Michter's Toasted Dry Barrel Strength or the Sour Mash. All those are really, really good. Have you had the chance to try any of those? I, I have not. I've not been able to get
1: my hands on one. And and I know there's a lot of folks that, that brag about it, and I think that that's what's making it so uh, so hard to find. Even though down there at Fort Nelson, you go down there and you're trying to and I mean, how many times have you called me? In a couple <laughs> in the last few months, saying, "Hey, that uh, somebody said there's five of them down there. Can you run down there real quick and see if you uh, can find something?" But I haven't been able to put my hands on one.
0: Yeah, so that that is uh, that is becoming the the habitual problem here. Is that you know us bourbon chasers, the guys that are out there, uh, they, I think they call us taters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that we're out there looking for the bourbons, looking for those deals, and uh, trying to trying to scoop them up as soon as they hit the, sh- the store shelves.
1: I, I understand that um, because there, there's a lot of products out there that are worth it. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think that there's um, products that are on the secondary market that are harder and harder to find in the stores or being allocated are truly worth the price that you're getting
0: for them, and you know it's it's always a matter of opinion as far as taste goes. You know, I I've had some bourbons, man, that that are highly allocated, and it seems like almost every Buffalo Trace product today that you know Sazerac they've done such a good job marketing, and and I feel like they make a good product, you know. But I feel like once people kind of tasted Pappy, or if they've ever had Pappy. Um, and then they, you know, hear that the, the mash builds are all very similar there because there a lot of them are weeded mashes. Um, I feel like some of those products have just become entirely too hard to find, you know, Blanton's is a great daily drinker, but you know, Blanton's, you know, two, three years ago, you could find them on the shelf all day long, you know, never had to worry yeah, about Myers it. Myers or anywhere. Myers or anywhere. Kroger, you know, yeah. But now you, you, have got to, you've got you've to gotta hunt those down and chase them just like you do anything else. And so, I mean, I guess it's just really just a matter of opinion in that situation. You know, for me, I, I, I'm not a huge old rip fan, but I've had the 15 year and I think it's amazing, you know. Um, and then to me, the 20 year is okay. And the 23 is just, it's too woody. I, I mean, would I pay, you know, what some of the, you know, secondary market or after market would, would pay for that? No, I, I think it's way too much, but that's just a personal opinion.
1: I think that there's there's ones that that probably are as good as they're hyped, but I think what it is is we're making these a little bit more difficult to find, which is shooting up the price, of course. Um, but I don't know that they're all they all deserve it. I, I think there's bourbons that you walk into a total wine or a liquor barn or any of the places, and you're gonna find a bourbon that you will enjoy sitting here talking to you today and having a bourbon. Um, you're going to enjoy just as much a- as you would any of the ones that, that are going to cost you 150 200 $300 on the secondary market. And, and what I would like to do, and, and this may be my contribution to this show, is try to figure out what those are and not, not to try to promote them to the point where they become harder to find, but really promote the ones that we think are great bourbon that, that may be forty or fifty or sixty dollar bourbons that, that you can actually find on the shelves. Because not only are we going to hopefully help you find as a listener the ones that, that are going to be the harder to find, the the whether the wellers, the one, antique one oh seven, um, weller twelve, Mictors ten, the toasted like you was talking about, things like that. But I also would like to point out things like Clyde May's bourbon. That that's a fantastic bourbon that you can find for thirty five dollars at Myers or, or Kroger.
0: Um, Heck, old granddad one fourteen, excellent bourbon, excellent bourbon.
1: There's so many out there that I think that if people spent the time to actually try or give it a try, um, I I don't know that they would put as much effort into trying to find the the ones that that for today are as popular or as hard to find i think people would be satisfied with the bourbons that 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 they can actually find in the stores because there's so many good ones that would really um drive them i mean
0: worth going to the store and picking up i mean making a special trip i absolutely agree with you there's 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 definitely a ton of great bourbons out there that not everybody's really aware of you know and What I'm always concerned about is, you know, the more you talk about things like that, the more they they become, you know, instant. Like, oh, my God, did you hear about those two guys? Or did you hear about that one article? Like old Ezra 7, you know, I mean, a year and a half ago, you could find it anywhere. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, a desolate desert. I mean, you can't really find old seven anywhere, you know, or you, Henry McKenna's. The same. Henry McKenna 10. Dude, how many times have we sit around and just drink Henry McKenna 10, you know, on just an every, a, you know, occasion. And now all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, I've got to get some Henry McKenna 10. But
1: it, it won best. I think it won best bourbon in like San Francisco or something. Yeah. That's uh, where the,
0: that's where the awards go every year. And Francisco. then,
1: but it won best bourbon one year. And then last year or this year, it won best overall whiskey. So it out it beat out all the scotches and all the um, the the other whiskeys that that would be in that Canadian or whatever that um, which is a huge deal it's it's something that now is it great is it is it a great bourbon yeah is it worth standing in line at Kroger at four o'clock in the morning to try to get a ticket to to no it, it's it's good yeah no. But it's, it's not worth it. Plus, it's a, it's a $30 bourbon, $35 bourbon for the most part.
0: And I don't think it's heavily allocated yet. I think it's somewhat allocated, but I don't think it's as heavily allocated as, you know, a lot of the Buffalo Trace products are and things to that nature. Um, you know, wh- I, I tell you, a, a good bourbon, you know, the, the last time, and, and for people that don't know, we actually do multiple podcasts here. We We, we do another one. And uh, one day uh, last week, Toby and I were sitting around, and we were, we were drinking something from Rabbit Hole. I don't remember what it was, but it was a good quality bourbon. I mean, there was nothing absolutely wrong with it at all. Um, it was a good. It was just an everyday, you know, drinker. You know, you could get it off the sho- shelf at Kroger or any of your local liquor stores and not have any trouble to get it. Um, so there are great bourbons out there that, that people should really learn about and and, um, and take the opportunity to go out and try some things, which is probably one of the things we're going to do, you know, during this show. We're going to do some tastings we'll probably, uh, invite some people to be like the third host or, you know, the third and fourth host and go to somebody's house and, you know, say, Hey, let's kick open three or four bottles and let's try them and, and kind of see what everybody thinks. And, you know, obviously drinking should be a must for any show that talks about bourbon. So we'll, we'll be doing that at every one of these.
1: Yeah, I, th- I do think that's a requirement. So, um, I just finished mine and, and you're working on yours. So, it's uh, it's something that I think is going to be a crucial step, but it's it's not it's not just the drinking part. It's it's the hanging out and, and enjoying the bourbon and speaking with people who enjoy the bourbon as well. One of the things that I also wouldn't mind um, talking about something that you probably know more about than I do, but I recently were you st-
0: going to say food because I'm fat? No, <laughs> um,
1: that that's something I can learn more about from you too, but. Uh, <laughs> No, the, one of the things that that I think is a perfect pairing with bourbon is cigars. Oh. Um, I don't I don't know much about cigars, but I had I think my first cigar about three or four months ago. and I had my second a couple couple three weeks ago. And then for my birthday, my daughter bought two more for me. So I got a couple upstairs that I wanna to break open and, and, and I think that that should be a pairing of this show as well that, that we bring in maybe some of the, the cigars that, that match with the bourbon that we, uh, we enjoy.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I'm completely open to that. You know, I, I know very little about cigars. I, I've, I've smoked a bunch of them. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like I've had, you know, I think it's called Padrones. I've had Churchill's. I've had all kinds of different things. Uh, Crossfire Cigars, a local guy, you know, the over Louisville, they make theirs. Uh, it's a good product, you know? Um, but I, I literally I, I couldn't tell you one thing about cigars other than the fact that I like this one and I don't like that one whenever I smoke it. Well,
1: I, I think that that can be something that we get into with some of the other folks that we bring on is, is figuring out what is a good pairing. So if you're going to have, um, let's say you're going to sit down and drink, um, have a glass of Buffalo Trace, What's a good cigar that's a good pairing with that? I know that they used to have people that talked about what what type of wine goes with what type of meat and things like that. I believe the same thing would probably apply to cigars and bourbon.
0: Everything goes good with meat.
1: <laughs> steak. Go ahead. Just steak steak. And bacon. Gotta
0: love the gotta love the meat. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, really going back to where we started, like I said, you know, this this show is really going to be all about bourbon, the things that are going on with the bourbon industry, and, and we're going to try to move forward through that process so that way people really, really fully understand um, that, you know, it doesn't take an expert, you know, because we're just two average Joes um, to, to, A, enjoy it, B, go out and find a really good bottle, and C go on tours and learn more about what makes bourbon bourbon and unique and about being in the Midwest or in Kentucky or, or or whatever. And, and really, really enjoy the aspects that, you know, bourbon has uh, created for our area.
1: Yeah. And I'm hoping to, to meet some folks that, um, at the distilleries that, that may be able to give us a little bit more feedback than, than, than the normal tour. So hopefully that we'll be able to, um, set some things up where we'll be able to do some shows from the distilleries and, and get that uh, as a mainstay, a part of the show, because I believe that those are the folks that we're going to learn the most about, but also the people who actually listen and can tell us which bourbons to try. Hey, have you tried the, like you said, the, um, uh, the riff flare? Um, it's, it's amazing. I, I watched a couple videos on the, the riffy killer versus um uh, the ken rift jr whatever the one it was um and in which one was better um i would like to have some things like that as a part of the show so the tastings and the tours and and getting the feedback from the the listeners who actually care about this product and make sure that it's something that that they have that they're, they're passionate about um so i i think that it's going to be uh
0: give us a great opportunity to learn and and even learn more about bourbon. All right. So last thing before we end the show today, um, there's only a few different things or ways that you can drink bourbon, right? So you got neat on the rocks or as a mixer, what's your, what's your preference?
1: I I actually like it on the rocks. Um, I don't drink too much bourbon neat. Um, I like to add a little water or ice and, and let it melt down a little bit. Um, for me, it's just easier to consume that way. And, and then I think it also changes the flavor. I think it gives it a little bit better flavor that I enjoy. When, when it's neat, it's, it's it tends to be a little stronger than I would like. and it doesn't give the the metal um, the, the metal flavors where you can really taste some of the flavor. So I like it over
0: uh, over ice. So I'm a mixed guy, okay, So not, not like mixing my bourbon with other things, but I'm kind of mixed on the review side there higher proof bourbons I actually prefer neat but standard bourbon like that you know 100 or less or you know in that area I actually prefer that on the rocks so I was hoping we would be kind of the opposite of each other but it sounds like we both kind of prefer Mm -hmm. our bourbon on the rocks but so well good deal hey Toby I appreciate you coming out or you know sitting down and talking about bourbon for the first time and uh you know we really um should have the opportunity to do this some more, and uh, hopefully, we'll get one of these out every week so people can really uh, take advantage of uh, us talking about bourbon and what the industry looks like and, and how everything moves forward. How, how would people get in contact with the show if you absolutely, absolutely, yeah. If you want to get in talk, uh, touch with the show, all you got to do is you can go to Facebook, visit us on Facebook, uh, you can go to Bourbon Barrel Talk on there and look us up. Um, you can uh, follow us and we're going to start you know putting some videos out there and then um, as we you know travel around and we're going to be taking pictures and maybe doing some live feed stuff on there and then you can also email us at bourbon at gmail.com that's bourbon at gmail.com all right sounds good all right man thanks for coming hey appreciate it